Welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown for Wednesday, March the 8th, and happy International Women's Day to everyone out there. My name is Tom Hollingsworth, and we are back with another lineup of great news stories this week. Um, Stephen Foskett is out at Tech Field Day, and joining me in the co-pilot seat is Mr. Chris Reed. Chris, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. We appreciate it. It's uh, an interesting week for news. We had some storage news, a couple of big networking announcements. And I think we're just going to go ahead and jump in with one of those big storage stories. Chris, take it away. We can do that. Uh, Pure Storage is moving to add more bits to your data center with FlashBlade E. Uh, the latest entry in the flagship line is based around FlashBlade S architecture and was released last year, but more focused on capacity. The E model starts at four petabytes of storage and is designed to help with global sustainability initiatives that Pure Storage is championing. Tom, you had a chance to talk with Pure a couple of weeks ago. What do you think about this new model? and How does it help with sustainability? Well, I think it's really interesting that Pure is kind of taking this track of it's not just about performance anymore. You have to have capacity, which is something we've known for a while. And it's something that people have been asking a lot of questions about when it comes to Pure, because as it turns out, whenever you're the all SSD manufacturer, the one thing that people are concerned about is the price per gigabyte or terabyte, or now in this case, petabyte of um, what you offer. But more importantly, it's more than just what it costs to acquire the units. Um, when I did this interview with Pure Storage during Cisco Live Europe a couple of weeks ago, one of the things that they talked about was the amount of electricity that is being consumed by data centers now is off the charts. It's, it's well, it sounds small, like one or 2% of all global electricity generation is being consumed by data centers. Think about that. That's one or 2% of nearly 8 billion people that is currently, it's going to the generation of electricity for data centers and things like that. And one of the things that's specifically cited in some of the coverage here is the fact that Pure took a hard look at what's happening in the hyper-converged infrastructure space, where if you want more storage, you have to buy another node to add storage to your cluster. That's very inefficient because you're replicating a lot of the pieces that don't need to be there. So Pure took the opposite track, which is we're not only going to offer these shelves available for capacity tiers, but we're also going to reuse the architecture that developed for the FlashBlade S last year in a way that allows us to put these big drive shelves on there. I mean, we're looking now at, you know, starting at four petabytes, but going way up from there and cost per petabyte is actually fairly inexpensive when you think about it, although it is still reassuringly expensive to get a big array. I think what's going to happen is, is that a lot of companies who have these massive data storage needs or a lot of companies that want to try to balance that performance and data storage archival type tier, especially cloud providers, are going to start taking a really hard look at this. And I think that that's going to pay off really well for Pure because it also helps them kind of lead that sustainability type messaging. You can imagine if they're able to get the the uh, FlashBlade E into some of these cloud providers and see those electricity bills go down, or at least uh, reserve more power for electricity for other devices, that's going to be a huge win for them on both fronts, hardware and that sustainability story. All right, Chris, um, we had a big story here from our friends over at HPE because they've made some more news in the networking space. They have announced the acquisition of Axis Security, which is a firm that is focused on SASE and SSE offerings. Axis offers software solutions to help increase productivity for users, whether they happen to be remote or on-prem in the enterprise. 
Um, Aruba CSO John Green said in an interview that Aruba is very focused on augmenting their zero trust networking architecture offerings as well as providing comparable solutions in the SSC and SASE space to some of the leading industry companies like Zscaler. Uh, terms of the deal were, of course, not disclosed, but um, everyone is expecting this to close pretty quickly. Chris, what's your take on HP picking up this company to kind of augment those offerings? I, this is, I mean, the growth must flow across uh, across the enterprise companies, and uh, it looks like acquisitions are the way to do that. Uh, that being said, I really like this from HPE. Uh, Axis looks to have a, a few very robust solutions for secure gateway, cloud access brokers, uh, and experience monitoring. Um, and it's one of those fantastic complementary, but not overlapping with their existing um, with their existing solutions. So uh, I think this will see a lot of net new revenue for existing customers and then a ton of integrations that they were talking about in that press release for uh, both HPE GreenLake as well as the SD-WAN solution. So it's it looks to be filling a pretty big gap right now that they've got uh, in their solution portfolio. Um, and I think uh, there's a lot of customers that are going to be pretty happy if they're already SD-WAN or they're already uh, GreenLake customers. So uh, I, I'm really excited about this one. Um, I, I think it'll be it'll be good for customers. Uh, what do you think, Tom? Well, I did have a chance to sit down with John Green and talk to him yesterday about this, and he said that you know they've been looking to add this capacity for quite a while because one of the things that they're seeing in the market is that a lot of companies are kind of deciding on a uh, an SD WAN solution, but they want to be able to run some really good software on top of it. And you know, Zscaler, of course, is one of the biggest companies out there. In fact, they're one of the reasons why there is a separate market for SSE. But as HP started doing their you know, research, if you will, they found some companies to partner with. And Axis, of course, was one of those. And early on, Axis was really only focused on kind of this ZTNA VPN replacement type thing. Um, one of the things that John said is, you know, we're still very much stuck in this old school mentality of the VPN being this client that you use when you're in a coffee shop to connect back to the corporate office to access a server that's there. And that's not how anybody uses VPNs anymore. So it's going to take rethinking that strategy. And so as they started partnering with Access Security, what they saw was Access was starting to add even more functionality, things like Secure Web Gateway or uh, Cloud Access Security Brokers, those kinds of things. The other key piece here is that Access will allow them to augment in existing installations that you can use, like you can redirect to the, uh, the HPE Access Cloud uh, offerings, but also if someone buys, say, Silver Peak SD WAN, they can still use their preferred provider. I think where the value is going to be is, like you said, in something like the Greenlight model, where HPE is like, you know what, <laughs> you don't even have to buy this stuff anymore. We're just going to put it in your data center. We're going to configure it and help you manage it, and then it can do all kinds of things. Some of the stuff that John was kind of telling me that they're looking at doing with it, I was kind of fascinated by. But what it also allows is you know, some ease in repatriating some of that data back out of the cloud into the local um, enterprise, into on-premises equipment. And I think that that is going to be a huge story for HPE, for GreenLake, and all of the, the components going forward. Moving on, we want to talk about uh, Akamai. Uh, Content Delivery Titan Akamai is looking to augment their storage capabilities this week. They announced their intent to acquire Ondat. Ondat offers cloud-based storage that has Kubernetes-based platform for stateful applications. Ondat provides persistent storage for a non-persistent world of microservices. 
The company is expected to be integrated into Akamai Connected Cloud, which is poised to compete in the cloud hosting market with other players focused on bespoke solutions. Tom, why would Akamai want their own storage? Because Akamai is tired of just being a content delivery network, and they're actually making these moves to become a giant cloud provider. Um, you may recall that Akamai picked up Linode, which is one of the biggest hosting companies out there for you know custom instances. Uh, disclaimer, techfieldday.com and gestaltit.com are hosted on Linode. But one of the other things is, is that you have to start looking at all the other things that are attached to that as you move along. Um, think about any project that you've ever done where, oh, well, we're going to put all these servers in and we're going to do all this cool stuff. Well, where are you going to get the storage? Mm, I don't know. We're going to buy it from somebody, right? Well, once you get past a certain point, buying it from somebody doesn't make sense. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to integrate a lot of what OnDAT is doing into that offering to reduce costs, but also to drive innovation. Because here's the thing, I get that Akamai kind of wants to branch out from being the, uh, you know, the, the Netflix hand truck that delivers the stuff for the last, you know, couple of miles to your location. But in order to do that, you have to differentiate yourself. You have to be something custom or special. I mean, let's just immediately kind of knock AWS and Azure out of the picture as the, the two biggest gorillas in this fight. Everybody else has differentiated themselves in some manner, you know, whether it's uh, Google kind of differentiating themselves as being a place to do like AI machine learning and other kind of custom hobby projects, um, Oracle Cloud differentiating themselves by being run by a megalomaniac. Just kidding, a little um, more, you know, focused on healthcare and, and places that have strong regulatory requirements and you know encryption at rest and stuff like that. How do you come out? Of, how do you poke your head above the cloud? Well, it can't be performance. Performance is kind of a, a you know it's a shr shoulder shrugging moment. What you really need to do is you need to offer these kinds of um, integrated solutions. And you know, on that has some great technology and it scales really well. Well, it's about to scale across Akamai. So either they're going to consume it and internally to kind of offset some of the, the spend that they've had recently on, you know, increasing capacity, or they're going to offer it as a tier in their Akamai connected cloud. And that's one of the things that we saw in some of the first generation cloud development stuff was, uh, you know, especially from companies like Linode, it's like, oh, well, you know, we'll give you this instance and it costs X, but do you need better performance because you're doing a lot of database queries? Well, that means we actually have to move you over here to this um, cluster that's running on SSDs and that's going to be an additional charge per month. I can see Akamai kind of operating, offering that differentiated performance type thing and then driving it with on that to make sure that your customers are happy with it. I mean, Chris, you know, uh, what do you think about this? Is this something that Akamai can use to kind of build to get to, uh, you know, a better place? Um, yeah, I mean, they, uh, it, it's interesting, Akamai historically as just a CDN that, that their customer base was somewhat limited, uh, that, that there was not a ton of people that were using, that were using that. I think the, the Linode acquisition and then this, it lets them sort of move down market, not that you necessarily need to, um, but uh, Linode was really targeted at, at smaller businesses to to be able to spin up uh, uh, the servers. So I think this is another just differentiator um, and be able to um, offer those services internally uh, and and externally out to customers. All right, Chris, um, we covered a story last week, but I wanted to get your perspective on it because this is kind of your area of expertise. Um, you may recall that last week HP announced that they were acquiring Athenet, which is an Italian private cellular. A technology provider. Um, this is something that we kind of remarked that uh, you know analyst firms are seeing huge growth potential 
in the private cellular, private 5G market uh, in the next three or four years. But Chris, I wanted to get your perspective on this because one of the things that we've seen from these companies is this maybe a little bit of a hesitance to kind of jump directly into that market. There's been some partnership stuff that's going on. What's HPE hoping to accomplish with this Athernet acquisition? So uh, HPE is really hoping to uh, be able to offer a pick your medium setup across their their uh, their networking stack. So be able to do copper at the edge or Wi-Fi at the edge or now cellular at the edge. Um, so this is not a surprise that they've acquired someone that provides the the private cellular, whether it's LTE or whether it's 5G solutions. Um, I'd probably expect to see it from other uh, networking vendors as well in the near future if they already haven't. Um, so, uh, Athenet has, is trying to do that, that Salona thing, our, our friend Salona, um, that, uh, where they're simplifying it for the end user and trying to make it more Wi-Fi like So be able to have roll out an access point and have just a consolidated RAN and core, um, available. So they've got a couple of cool solutions. It's mostly around the, the software, but they've got some hardware solutions in a backpack deployable cellular um, core, uh, a box deployable cellular core that's IP rated, um, or uh, e even down to uh, you can roll it out in your in your own data center. So uh, this is something um, uh, HP is definitely going to have it fall under Aruba. There's no doubt about it, um, and uh, I'm expecting some integration into. Um, into things like central or uh, or their their existing uh, wireless controller platform. Yeah, I think that that kind of my read on it as well is there's going to be a lot of this kind of integration work, and they're trying to kind of expand their markets, which honestly is is the best uh, goal in mind. Because let's be fair, this whole uh, fight between whether or not five G was going to take out Wi Fi and vice versa, I think we've pretty much seen conclusively isn't going to happen. They're going to be two separate technologies that kind of offer something for uh, in lieu of the other that maybe one of them can't do that the other one does better. And I think that ultimately they're going to coexist and a company that can provide that coexistence is going to be more successful in the long run. I, yeah, I mean, since this is the storage show that the the 5G destroying cellular, getting rid of cellular, this is not the uh, this is not the SSDs will kill platters, will kill tape. That they each have their purposes, they each have their uses, they have their pros and cons for each, and you pick the one that, that's right for you and is right for what you're doing. So, uh, HP seems to see that um, and uh, is is moving towards making sure that they can offer each of those individually um, and hopefully as a, a single platform and just uh, just roll out whatever you need. Uh, moving on to, uh, we've got an, an AI story. Uh, BrainChip is back again with the latest generation of their Akita AI engine. Second gen offering provides performance increases while simultaneously offering more energy efficiency. That includes a new low power mode that can be run on edge computing devices for specific workloads. Akita V2 is focused on providing enhancements for time series data processing and vision processing. Tom, what advantage does the newest AI platform offer? Well, for one thing, it is no longer a one-size-fits-all solution, and I think that was one of the drawbacks of their Generation 1, if you could call it that, is, you know, it's like uh, the old Henry Ford model, you know, you can buy any color you want as long as it's black. Well, they had one model that kind of ran on, you know, a specific kind of hardware, which is what you would expect from a company that's kind of just starting out. 
But as they've kind of developed this technology, one of the things is, is that they've offered three separate kinds of models. You know, they have a lower power one that can run on edge IoT devices. They have a slightly better one that can run, you know, kind of what with the existing one. And then they kind of have like a superset that can run multi-cores, multi-cluster. And, and that's something that you're going to need in the environment where you're starting to throw bigger and bigger workloads at it. I think that this is, you know, kind of one of those things where you're you're trapped in a way because, you know, um, AI uh, devices, AI hardware, yeah, whatever it is, you can throw stuff at it all day long and it will absolutely eat everything you send its way. But you also want to have the ability to take advantage of that distributed computer um, mentality, especially with things like IoT devices. And that was one of the things that, that Brainchip actually called out in their briefing was that, you know, with this lower power, power model, maybe you're not doing like really complicated computations there at the edge, but by offering that low power, low compute cycle type model, you can do some work and then ship it back and have it done, you know, in a different place. And I think that that's going to allow people who are heavily invested in those kinds of edge nodes to really take advantage of this solution. I know that Brainship has a lot of fans out there that are really excited to see where this technology is going to go. I mean, they're uh, in the announcement, they talked about, you know, dealing a lot with time series data. And I know that that's one thing that AI struggles with. It's not enough to be able to analyze the data and make decisions about it, you know, hours or, you know, even days from now. Can you do that in real time or near real time? Because I can tell you as someone who works in, say, some like security space, I don't need to know how an attacker was moving laterally a week ago. If they're doing it now, I need to see what AI projection says that I need to do to be able to lock that down so that I can stop them before they get access to something that they're not supposed to get to. And I end up on the news in a very uncomfortable interview with somebody. So I think that that's really something that's going to be helpful in the future. And one of the nice things is when you see how Brainship went from that one one model for your workloads to this more distributed, more, um, I don't know, um, more sized model. I think that ultimately it's going to be a, a bigger win for everybody because it gives you the capability to kind of tailor what you're doing instead of just saying, all right, well, you know, we have something that needs this. We can't use this company because they, they can't run on our hardware or we need way more than they can offer. So I, I'm I'm hopeful as to you know how the market is going to receive this, but also how developers are going to adjust to it and be able to write their software and make it more advantageous for those out there who want to consume it. I mean, Chris, what are your thoughts? Uh, yeah, I mean the the move towards the the more t-shirt sizing and being able to to bring it down. I mean, it, it definitely expands their customer bases it, uh, and the use cases that that you can put against it. So uh, I think. And anytime you give the customer more options up to a certain point, um, is uh, is always a good thing. And I, I think they'll they'll probably see some more people interested in and and trying it out and uh, and seeing what it's all about. Well, that will just about do it for our stories this week on the rundown. Like we said, it was you know a little bit of a lighter news week. I think people are trying to uh, get prepped for maybe their uh, their end of quarter, so they're wanting to uh, hold a few announcements maybe a little bit later. Uh, but it doesn't mean that it's a slow week for us because we actually have Tech Field Day 27, which is going on right now. You can check it out on our website at techfieldday.com. Um, you can click on the link for Tech Field Day 27 and check out the list of people who are presenting there today and tomorrow. We also have another awesome event coming up later this month, Storage Field Day. We are going to be out in Silicon Valley on March 22nd and 23rd. Uh, you can check out the list of presenters as well as the list of delegates on our website at techfieldday.com. Um, Chris, uh, I know you've got a lot going on. If people want to check out some of the stuff that you've been working on, where can they go to learn more? 
Um, so you can find me on Twitter at the CM read, or uh, you can find me online uh, off channel scan.com. All right. And as always, you can find us every Wednesday at around 1230 Eastern time here on your favorite YouTube channel, which should be youtube.com slash gestalt IT video. Um, you can also check out our website at gestalt IT.com for a link to the stories that we have uh, posted as well as some notes and thoughts around those. If you prefer to get your news in the podcast format, then just open up your favorite podcast application, search for Gestalt IT Rundown, hit the subscribe button. You'll have your news delivered directly into your ears, um, as is the case with most podcasts. And if you have any news that you'd like for us to take a look at, please make sure you tweet at Gestalt IT. Use the hashtag Rundown. We keep an eye out for that. And uh, sometimes they're interesting stories. Sometimes they're about social media platforms getting government regulation or other things. And that's not as exciting to people who run in the enterprise, but I promise you, if it's worthy of us bringing it up, we will definitely talk about it. That'll just about do it. So thank you very much to Chris Reed for being my co-host this week. We'll be back next week with more great information. Until then, take care of yourself and we'll see you soon.